for us when we refuse to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. Ultimate, ultimate Lord over your life. The reason is, it's not because we don't know. It's because if we have to acknowledge it, that means we have to bow to it. You're listening to audio from Century Baptist Church. To connect with us, visit centurybaptist.org or download the Century Baptist Church app. How good is it going to be when we get into eternity and we, we just, that's just our spirit. We sing that uh, with uh, all of creation forever. Uh, man, this, that's just a small little warm-up. I think it's going to be fantastic. I think it's going to be more beautiful than we could ever imagine. I think it's, uh, it's going to be a new tune that we've never sung before, but we're just going to know it. If it is a tune that we know, I don't know. I hope it's too. Where the Streets Have No Name by U2. It's my favorite song. I don't know. Uh, but, but how incredible will it be that we just get to dwell forever in all of eternity in worship and praise in the presence of God. Uh, today I want to I take us to Matthew 21. We're going to start in verse 23. It's really going to, uh, this is going to be one of a few messages where we're going to look at uh, the authority of Jesus. Not, not just His power, but, um, but His right to, to use that power in all things. Um, there's a story I read about a, uh, the governor of, of Massachusetts from the mid-1950s. Um, his name was Christian Herder, and he was running for a second term in office, and it was a tight race. So every minute mattered. And so he just was traveling town to town, city to city, and uh, schools and cafes like, like we see happening right about now. And um, it was mid-afternoon, and he ended up at a church where he was going to be speaking, and they were having uh, kind of a, a potluck, and he was thrilled because he hadn't eaten anything all day. He's been on the road like crazy, and so he got in line, grabbed a plate, and he's going down, and he gets to the end, and they're serving, this woman is there, and she's serving fried chicken, and she gave him a piece, and he said, hey, would you mind, you know, I haven't really eaten much today. Do you, do you think I could have one more piece of chicken? And she said, I'm sorry, I've been instructed. I'm only allowed to give out one piece per person. He said, no, you don't understand. I'm like, I'm working right now and I'm here to speak and I'm, I'm really hungry. If I could just have one more piece. And she said, I'm sorry, but I'm only allowed to give you one piece of chicken. And he just said, man, I hate to do this, but I'm sorry, but I'm actually the governor. Could I have another piece of chicken? And she said, well, I really hate to tell you this, but I'm the lady in charge of the chicken. <laughs> we have a hard time, don't we? Submitting to people who are in charge, which then translate, we have a hard time often submitting to any authority. So when we talk about God having authority and Jesus having authority over our life, we cringe a little bit. Now, I will just, let me just say at, the, at the, the start of this that I understand that there are probably a, a huge percentage of people in the room that at some point in time, people who have been in authority over you have abused that authority in some way that's wronged you, that's hurt you. But today I want to talk about the purest form of authority there is, and that is God's authority. And the authority that our Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, had while He ministered and lived on this earth and still has today, and how submitting to that is the most important thing 
that you and I can do. Let's pray. Father, this morning we come to you uh, and just those, the songs continuing to just echo in this room. Father, they, they, they were not empty. They were with the purest of intention and heart. Uh, that we declare who you are. That you are the one true God. And so today, as we just open up your word for, uh, for uh, these next few moments and just a few verses, would you just reveal to us what it is that you need to reveal? Father, you've given me words to say through the power of the Spirit, but, but for each and every person in this room, you know that, that there are specific things that we need to hear. And so, Father, help us to just be receptive to it. Help us also to be obedient to it. Help us to question why we get uncomfortable at times. And uh, Father, may you show us who you want us to be through this. We love you and we praise you. We thank you. This is your time. Amen. So just a, a quick catch up. I do this a little bit every week. Jesus is now, as we're walking through the story of Jesus, he's now in his final week of ministry and life on this earth. Um, we have been talking a couple weeks ago, we, we took a look at the triumphant entry. Jesus coming into, fulfilling prophecy, coming into Jerusalem, and, and the people crying out, save us, in their belief of who they thought Jesus was, that he was going to overthrow the government and, and was going to establish a new rule. Uh, the disciples, kind of hungry for, for getting to be kind of at the right hand of the, of the king and the power and authority they were going to get. They didn't quite understand it either. Jesus then goes into the temple uh, and finds the sacrilege that's taking place. People were not being obedient to the ways that God intended for this, that his uh, house would be a house of prayer, and, and people were being taken advantage of, and Jesus gets upset, and he turns the tables over, and he chases everybody out. Last week, we then we talked about how Jesus coming back into the city on Monday sees a fig tree full of leaves, but no fruit, and he curses it and says, may no fruit ever come from you again. The disciples watch this thing wither right in front of them, and they, they can't believe it. How did you do this? All of this plays into Jesus talking about his uh, authority. The, the picture, the stage that was set last week of a tree that had an appearance of, of bearing fruit, but had none, leads us into these next few weeks, especially today's text, and then the parables that we'll study where Jesus is addressing these religious leaders who have the appearance of being fruitful, but in reality, they're, they're liars and they're hypocrites. They don't really, not only do they not live into what they believe, but, but I don't really know that they truly believed in, in what it is that they taught. But tension is building. With every one of these passages that we dig into, we are, the, the tension is building leading up to the death of Christ uh, on the cross. And so Jesus is powerful to many. And as again, as, as the week progresses, we see his power, his teaching grow and grow. We also see the anger of the religious leaders grow to the point where it does hit this breaking point because Jesus was a threat and so so they confront him in our text today here's what it says in verse 23 of chapter 21 if you uh, would let's stand together and just honor the word uh, this is what it says so when Jesus entered the temple which is really interesting right so he 
Remember, he had, the day before, he had turned the tables over and drove everybody out and kind of this huge display. And now the next day, he goes right... They would have never expected this, but he goes right back into the temple. Uh, he goes into the temple, and the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching, and they said, By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? And Jesus answered them, I, I also will ask you a question. If you tell me the answer, then... I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where did it come from? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, well, we're afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We don't know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. That's God's word. You can have a seat. <clears throat> to sum it all up, these religious leaders are, are cowards. Uh, and, and they're trying to trap Jesus with this question. Trying to give them an answer that they can use, uh, that they could finally get rid of this guy. Or at least in front of all the people, prove that he's a false prophet, that he's a liar. And, and Jesus doesn't bite. He's still got a few days that he's got some in, incredible ministry that needs to take place in preparation for his death. And today was not that day. And he was not going to let them win. But the question is about authority. And so uh, I just want to begin to talk about this subject. As I said, we'll talk about it for a few weeks. But first of all, let's just get into that. Why did it matter to these religious leaders that, that they needed to know by who gives you the right? By what authority do you have this? Let's just define it, first of all. Biblical authority, as they talk about it, means it's a delegated influence of power. You have, you have uh, not just power, but you have the right to use that power. And authority, as it was understood in ancient Judaism, is always has been given to you by somebody in authority over you. They want to know who gave you this, who gave you permission and who gave you this power to be used in the way that you're using it? Because they can't deny it. They've seen and they've heard of all of the witnesses of the miracles that had taken place. Lazarus raised from the dead. And, and even you can just you can go back to the day before when he just spoke to a tree and, the, the, and, and it just died in front of them. That he walked into the temple and he turned the tables and chased everybody out. Who does this guy think he is? That's really what they're asking. Who gave you permission to be able to do such a thing. To add to it, they're a little bit upset, i got to imagine, because he dared to walk back into that temple. He, he, he is now their enemy. Why? Because they're the ones that are in charge of the temple. We didn't give you permission to come in and, and wreck the place. And here you are again today. Who do you think you are here in the temple uh, teaching people? Now, just... Just to get a good understanding, the temple uh, in, in Jerusalem was not there and designed to be a place like your modern day church building where numbers of people come and they sit and they face somebody who's teaching uh, and, and, that, and, we, and we worship and we praise. Uh, although some of those things happened in the temple, but the, the temple was built as the dwelling place, the house of God, there in the midst of his people. And so we've, we've talked about this, but it was for, for everyone. 
I'll show you that model again of, the, 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 of Herod's temple. Uh, that larger area, the court of the Gentiles, meaning anybody from all over the world was allowed to come and offer sacrifice to give an offering uh, to the Lord. That's, that was the central work that was taking place in the temple. And the Levitical priests were in charge of all of that, receiving it, making sure it got to the right place. But it was a place where God was, was told, you're great through the people's giving and through their animal sacrifice. And, uh, and, and so you had the court of the Gentiles, that wide area, and then as it got smaller, there's the smaller section in the front of that central, looks like a central building. That was the court of women, and beyond that is the court of uh, the Israelite men, and beyond that, the court of the priests. And then in the middle or at the, of that all, that large building is the Holy of Holies, where one man, the high priest, on one day of the year went and communed with God, offering a sacrifice on behalf of all of the people. And so uh, constant offerings and sacrifices that are taking place regularly on this. Now, the reason that I say that is because on the, on the outside of the court of the Gentiles, we have what look like walls, but, but those are actually, I mean, it's walls, but there's a roof over the top of these groups of colonnades. They were uh, porticos, or we would call them a porch, uh, all around the side. The one on the left, it kind of has that brown roof. That was the royal portico, uh, obviously, because Herod built the temple, and so it's kind of a tribute to himself. And then the wall that's closest to us, the the eastern wall, that uh, is known uh, underneath that roof as Solomon's porch. And, and that was used as a place of teaching. That's where the teaching took place. But it wasn't just one guy up front and, and people sitting and listening. It was... Uh, numerous uh, rabbis and priests, and, and they, would, they would walk through those, those columns and colonnades, and they would, they would usually teach by asking questions, and questions would get asked back, and they would tell uh, how they interpreted passages of Scripture. At any given time during the day, there could have been dozens of teachers in Solomon's porch just sitting with their disciples and, and teaching, and there was just interaction. And, and so I just say that so we get a good picture of what was taking place uh, that day. Interesting enough, side note, I guess, just because it's up there, uh, this eastern wall that we have and that gate uh, down below to get into the temple, there are, there are still parts of that, that wall that still stand today. That gate is, is still there today. It's been uh, filled in. And, um, centuries ago, uh, the Muslims uh, cemented it in because they know uh, that Ezekiel said that when the, the Messiah comes again, he will enter through the gate called Beautiful, and, and that's the gate. And so they want to make sure that that's not going to happen, so it's cemented shut, as if cement could keep out the creator of the world. And to ensure that, if you go there to this day, this is just a model, but if you go to that uh, section of the wall in Jerusalem, you will find uh, there is a massive graveyard there. And those who filled in the gate also made sure a graveyard got put there because no good Jewish Messiah would ever get close enough to those dead bodies. So, I mean, they're putting up as much as they possibly can to keep the Messiah away. What they didn't pay attention to is the rest of Scripture that says when the Son of Man comes, the dead in Christ will rise first. There will be no dead bodies that will be there, and he'll blow through that gate, and people will know that he is Savior, all right? Enough said about that. Solomon's porch. 
Solomon's portico, Jesus is in there and he's teaching, uh, and these religious leaders hear about it, and they come to confront him. Now, what we know about it is, uh, as we read through kind of the parallel texts uh, of what's taking place in this passage, is that it says that there were some priests, that there were uh, some elders, and, uh, and there were uh, some teachers, some scribes that were a part of this group that come up to Jesus. That means that they were... Uh, some of the members of the Jewish Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was considered to be uh, the supreme court of the Jewish faith and the Jewish people. So this uh, small delegation of the highest authority in the land come and and they confront Jesus and they want to know, where did you get your authority? Because what they're saying is, we didn't give it to you. and, And we're the highest authority. And, and so we need you to either stop talking, stop doing what you're doing. We're telling you that this just needs to end. But, but they, have, they have other intentions. We'll, we'll get to that uh, in a little bit. Um, but in the hierarchy of Judaism, they were at the top. Jesus to them had no business doing what he had done. He, he, was, he was an unknown. He had no formal training. He came from the middle of nowhere for all that they knew. He hadn't studied under any other rabbi. And that's, that's actually how you gain your authority uh, in uh, the faith. The authority or the right to use the authority and a, and a correct handling of the word of God and being able to interpret it was known as, it was in the Hebrew, as smika. And so it, when, when people would talk about Jesus, they said they were amazed at him. When he finished preaching the Sermon on the Mount, said they were amazed at him because he taught as one who had smika. In other words, that he had authority, which would mean that he learned under a rabbi and grew in such a way that his rabbi saw in him that he had what it, what it took to make his own disciples. And so they would, the rabbi would put their, their hands on their, their best disciple and say, I'm, I'm giving you the authority to go and do what it is that you need to do. I believe you can do what I've done. Go and make disciples. But everybody was asking the question, who is this guy? Because he teaches like he has authority, but he's never had anyone give it to him. No teacher taught him. What, what is this uh, all about? The, the, uh, the religious leaders want to know who gave you the right to, to get on that donkey, ride into our town and have people praise and worship you? Who gave you authority to come in and to turn these tables over and cause so many problems? And so they want to know. Mostly because they know that however he answers, they've got him. He's going to have to admit, one, that nobody gave him authority. Well, then we can, we can get rid of him for, for being a false prophet. If he says God gave him the authority, well, really, we don't believe him, he, so he's a heretic. So they've got him trapped, and Jesus knows it. And so rather than answer the question, He just does what any good rabbi does, and he responds with another question to them. So this is why Jesus' response mattered to him. Albert Moeller, in his book, Tell Me the Stories of Jesus, he says, Immediately Jesus subverted their authority 
by taking charge of the conversation. I love it. Jesus put them in their place, instantly made them understand that they were not the ones in charge. By just responding with a question, he takes charge and command over the situation that makes them very uncomfortable. They start to panic and get worried and end up with just this non-response because they're cowards. He knows what they're trying to do. And so he knows what he needs to do. If he, if he gave them a straight answer, he knows. If he says, my authority comes from the Father, which he's already explained before. But if he says it, they're going to arrest him on the spot. And, and Jesus knows now's not the time. Not today. Which proves his authority. Over, he's, com, he's got a commanding authority over all that is taking place. And so Jesus decides he's just going to ask a question. So he, he just says, the baptism of John. And what he means by that is the ministry of John the Baptist, who, who claimed that he came as the forerunner of the Messiah, that he said that Jesus was the Lamb of God who'd come to take away the sins of the world. And John the Baptist's ministry was, come and be baptized in repentance because the kingdom of heaven is near. Turn from your sin. And John gained a massive group of followers that, that everybody was intrigued by and interested in. And we know that the religious leaders were there and watching all of this take place, but they, but they didn't follow John's teaching. They didn't r repent. But Jesus knows the impact that John had, and so he just says, tell me this, uh, who gave John the authority to do what he did? And, and he knows what they're, that, that they too are not going to be able to answer the question because they will implicate themselves no matter how they answer, and they know it. So they, they, they get together. Oh, we need to talk about this, right? And so they're chatting like, well, what should we say? What should our answer be? And, like, and one guy's like, I think we, you know, let's, it, it, you know, we can't, we can't say that, it, that his authority came from God because if we, if we say that his authority came from God, he's just going to come back, well, well, then why didn't you obey him? Because to not follow through in, in repentance and baptism the way that John said, then that means that, that you turned your back on God, that you were living in disobedience. And, and, and guys, we'll lose our jobs. We're the Sanhedrin. We'll lose our power over the people. We'll lose all that comes with it. So don't anybody say that, that he got his authority from God. What does that leave us with? Well, he got his authority from man. No, 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 we can't say that. He has way, John had way too many followers, and there's a huge crowd here today. And a lot of them did follow John. And John was a martyr, one of the greatest prophets of all time, it would seem to the people. So if we say his authority only came from men, the people are going to riot. And we're going to lose our jobs. We're going to lose our power. We're going to be nobodies. Well, how should we answer? And the Supreme Court of the nation that according to them knows every law and how it needs to operate. They tout themselves as the smartest, wisest people in all of the land. Come back with the answer, we don't know. Imagine what, what them answering we don't know was less embarrassing to them than answering the truth. They knew. They knew. 
Their answer was a lie to protect themselves. They were stuck. They cared more. This is, this is the worst response in what people need from their spiritual leaders and religious leaders. Lack of integrity, weakness, allowing people's opinions to shape them. They care more about themselves and their agenda than anything else. For us, when we refuse to acknowledge Jesus as Lord, ultimately, ultimate Lord over your life, the reason is, it's not because we don't know. It's because if we have to acknowledge it, that means we have to bow to it. That means we have to follow it. That means we have to submit to it, and we need to surrender. And it's because we refuse it often because we think we deserve to be Lord of our own lives. And it's driven, it's driven by the exact same thing that was driving uh, these, the, the, the Sanhedrin at this point. It's driven by fear. Because we have to give up control. And we do not like to give up control. We love our individualism, right? That's, I mean, you travel anywhere in the world and what sets Americans, a Western world apart from everybody else is that we are a culture of individualists, right? Every man for himself, the freedom that we have. We care a lot about what people think. We constantly love to cling to that position and whatever the cost. And so their answer, again, has no integrity. We don't know. But it's a lie because they do know. And it would be a lie for us to not acknowledge Jesus as Lord because we know as well, Paul tells us in Romans 1, 21, although they knew God, they didn't honor Him as God or give thanks to Him because they became futile in their own thinking and their foolish hearts got darkened. They claimed to be wise, but they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the things of immortal man. Scripture over and over and over again tells us even if we never hear from someone a clear explanation of the gospel, God has created the world in such a way that people would see it and they know that there is a God that created it, that loves them, and that cares about them. Paul says the same thing. Everybody knows that there is a God you can claim that there isn't, but it's only because you decided you want to be in charge of your own life. You will not bow to another power. We talk about this Sanhedrin, but it's not just about them. It's about us as well. So in the last few minutes that we have, let me just cover this third point about why Jesus' authority matters to us. As I said, know this, that the conversation's not over today. Today, it just kind of sets the stage. We're going to dig into this even deeper. But Jesus wasn't going to allow them to leave without learning. It wasn't, it wasn't like when he turned the tables over and, and then he just left and went back to Bethany. Today, he sticks around and, and he's going to teach them in parable, meaning he's going to make it as simple as he possibly can for them to understand, to give them an opportunity to acknowledge him as Lord. But his response immediately was true to his word. You answer me and I'll answer you. And, and they didn't answer him. 
So he didn't answer either, but his response, I think, gives an answer. That he's got authority. He, he responds by saying, so I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. In other words, he's got it. He's just not going to let them know. Making this personal today is important. Authority matters. I was having coffee with another pastor this week, and we were chatting, and I, in true Paul form, was probably talking five times louder than any normal human being usually does, so people hear my conversation. So this woman came over, and she said, I couldn't help, you know, but overhear your conversation. I'm like, I know. And, uh, and, 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 and um, we just got to talking, and we were listening to her story, and, and she, she said, I'm a former school teacher, but... Uh, she was, then she got flustered and she just said, I just can't, I just can't believe what I'm seeing today. She said, I, I, just in the last few years, she said, the way that, the way that I'm not, and I'm not bashing you guys, okay, so get this, but she just said, the way young people talk to their teachers, she said, I, I can't believe it. The words they use and how they cuss us out as teachers and they don't even care. And she said, how do we get this way? And and I said, how do we get this way? <laughs> Have you paid attention to our world the last few years? They've learned it, right? Kids, kids hear their parents trashing, horribly bashing the authority that is placed over us, that God said that we're to submit to, that we're to pray for. But we turn on the channels and we just let the news just constantly play out about how horrible this person is. And how, that's, that's every, it doesn't even matter. But, but people are just trashing authority constantly. How do we get this way? We haven't lived biblically to pray for our authorities. That's what, that's what Scripture says to do. We've decided to not listen to God, and we've decided it's better off to slander them and to talk about them with our friends rather than pray. You, you continue on, and, and you wonder, uh, how do we get this way? You could even take it to, let's just take it to entertainment of our own lives, right? You, we're all watching the NFL playoffs right now. Well, I'm not because my Steelers are out, so I don't care anymore. But baseball, football, it's entertainment, and for years, from the beginning of those sports, there were people that were put on that field and said, they are the authority. Whatever they say goes. You do not question the umpire. You don't get to question the referee. Their decision is final. Until the last few years, now you just throw your little red hanky and you can change the entire outcome of the game, which means that they no longer have any authority. And no matter what decision they make, then you turn on the sports the next day and all you hear about is how the ref blew the game for us, right? Because we hate authority. We hate being told by somebody else how we're supposed to live. I don't mean to get on a soapbox, but I'm getting really angry, and we're about to get into a, a full year now of voting in a, a president, whether the same or new, and I'm not looking forward to conversations with Christians. We confront our coaches if our kid doesn't get playing time. We feel he deserves. He has no authority anymore. And we coaches wonder why, why kids don't respect them anymore. 
We call our teachers when our child doesn't get their homework done and gets a bad grade. It's the teacher's fault. We've stripped them of their authority. Jonathan Lehman, he's an author, PhD from the University of Wales, says, We pride ourselves in America on individualism. Freedom in all things has become our chief virtue. He says, When we pull off the secularized mask of individualism because it's not biblical, we should be communal. What we find behind it is a fear of, no, a hatred of authority. It's not relationships that people are afraid of. People long for relationships. Rather, there's a very particular kind of relationship that people despise. The problem then is not individualism, it's anti authorityism Loneliness is not the problem in our world. A refusal to live life on anyone else's terms is. We've got a problem with authority. We want to be king. We want to be Lord. This applies to the response of the religious leaders and it, and it applies to us. If we really admit what we've seen, then we have to submit and we will lose control. Our culture pushes back hard against any type of subordination. It's the world that we live in. How dare you say anybody should submit to anyone? What we need to understand is that biblical submission is holy. But in our culture, oh, everybody is equal. Unless we submit, admit that through Scripture, we see Jesus who is equal with God in deity. But being the Son, we find that He is even Christ. God Himself, God in the flesh, submitted to the Father. John 10.30, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. John 1 says Jesus was not only with God in the beginning, but He was God. But in function, the three persons of the Trinity, they don't operate independently, they, but they have different roles. And it's in these roles we're told in Scripture that the Son, Jesus, receives His authority from the Father. Or in other words, he's submissive to the Father as the Son. Philippians 2.6 says, Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage, but, but because this is how the Father was going to save the world, he humbly submitted and became nothing, taking the nature of a servant. Upon his baptism in Luke 3 that began his ministry, the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus. And the voice from heaven says, this is my son with whom I love, whom I'm well pleased. That, that was, it was a physical sign that the power and the authority of God was placed upon the son to do what he needed to do to go out and begin his ministry. Matthew 17, 5, same thing. When Jesus is transfigured in front of the disciples, the voice from heaven comes again, this is my son with whom I am well pleased, but there's more added to it. What does it say? Listen to him. Submit to him. I, the Father, have given him all rights to do what it is that he's called to do and the power to do it. Listen. Submit to him. And then there's Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Jesus states it himself. All authority in heaven has been given to me. 
Go and make disciples. Let me just end today in, in just a couple of ways that this should matter to you today. The first goes back to that Philippians 2 passage that, that says in verse 6, Jesus in very nature is God. He's God. And He Himself came to this earth to go to the cross for us. To surrender our individualism and to embrace Him as Lord and His community, the church, the body that comes around us. Because of Jesus' obedience to the Father, it says that the Father exalted Him to the highest place. The name above all names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord. John 1.12 says then, to all who receive Him, who acknowledge Him as Lord, He gave the right to become children of God. Authority. Jesus has been given the right and the power to declare who is one of His children and who isn't. You go further into John 5.27 and it tells that Jesus is given authority to execute God's judgment upon those that do not declare Him as Lord. He is King. So the response is, do you not just believe it, but do you live into it? Do you live with a full submission to Christ as King, the one who has the power to declare whether we're children of God or, or, or whether we are destined for eternal separation from God? Second goes back to the Great Commission. This is for those that say, yeah, I'm a believer, I'm a follower of Jesus. Jesus said, all authority in heaven has been given to me. Go and make disciples. It is not a suggestion. If, if the words go come from the ultimate authority, that means you better go. You don't get to question it. You don't get to make up excuses. We don't get to say, well, you don't know what they did to me or they are not very kind. Jesus said, go. And that's it. I'm in charge Go. It's kind of like when you would dare question your dad when he would say, go mow the lawn. Oh, man, why do I have to do it? And why? Because I said so. That's exactly what it is. We should know that Jesus is in charge, and because he said so, we go. Just before he began his earthly ministry, Jesus gets tempted by Satan. Uh, and he's, he's out, and Satan shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And Satan uses Kind of the same words. He goes, hey, if you, if you bow down and worship me, I'll, I'll give you authority over all of these things. And Jesus' response is, I'm sorry, but the word of God says I, I worship only God and God alone. Satan didn't have the right. He didn't have the, the authority. Only Jesus has the same power that's been given to him by the Father. Only one can lead your life. And the one and only has told us to follow him and told us to go and make disciples. No matter how important we think we are. No matter how many pieces of chicken we think we deserve, there is only one who is in control and in charge. And we submit to Him. Father, thank You for this morning and thank You for Your Word. Where it will lead us, we know, God, that there's, there's a lot for us to understand, a lot for us to learn, but may it begin with this understanding that one, that God, you are the creator of all things and in charge. You are the ultimate authority. That Jesus, that you are God. And it is our role to submit.
to you in all things. You give us so many promises, so many truths, so much joy. Help us to submit to that. You're the Prince of Peace. Help us to submit to that, to receive that peace, to not take charge of our lives by desiring worry and fear. Give us, through the power of your Holy Spirit, the ability to submit 100% to you, Jesus, our King. Amen.